Church, how are we doing today? Everybody good? I want to tell you thanks for venturing out in our uh, Arctic weather, uh, that the weatherman, they never cease to amaze me how they terrify us uh, to, you know, you're going to die if you get out. And so I just, I want you to know I've been praying for you today that you don't die and that you have a good day and, and you drive safely. And I want to welcome those here at Battle Creek and at Midtown and DuPage. In fact, at Battle Creek, just put your hands together for those at Midtown and DuPage and downtown. Uh, we're, we're so glad that you're joining us in, in our chapel today and those of us watching online today. We welcome all of you. And it's great for us to all be together uh, even when we're miles apart. And, and today I know that uh, as we enter into the holiday season that we begin to think about those that are miles apart from us and, and, and those that are going to come visit and those that we're going to travel uh, to go see. And, and uh, in this season, what I, what I want to ask you to do before I begin today is I want to ask you, would you pray with me about something? Okay, and so I want to give you a prayer request. I, I, I pray for many of you all the time, so I'm giving you a, a request. And I want you to pray about something very important in the life of our church. On December the 14th, uh, we will collect our annual Christmas offering. And, and it's a big deal in the life of our church. And I want to ask you today, would you just be praying about what your part would do? And as we fund this Christmas offering this year, just like every year, uh, we fund some things in entirety. And this year, uh, we're going to fund ministry in our city, we're going to fund ministry in our nation, and we're going to fund ministry in our world, all of it going beyond the walls of our congregations. In our city, uh, we will fund completely our TC Toys event, uh, which if you're new to our church, never been a part of TC Toys, make plans to attend and be a part of December 6th and 7th at, at our downtown campus. And this new, Okay, announcement. I don't know if we've been announcing that already. We're moving the whole thing to the downtown uh, Third and Wheeling campus because most of the people we minister to during that event, anyways, come from that geographic area of town. And, and so we want to move it over there where we have a better shot at not only leading them to Jesus, but in ministering to them week in and week out and developing a relationship with them. And we will give toys to thousands of children and their families. And uh, bigger than that, we will lead hundreds of them into a life-saving relationship with Jesus. And, and so it helps us do that. Safe Harbor and our benevolence ministry will be funded. Uh, this week, I met, uh, met one family this morning uh, after the 830 service who came to our church through Safe Harbor. We helped them uh, with some food. We helped them with some bills. She came to know Christ. Her husband came to know Christ. And they were in church this morning. She's baptized. Uh, another lady is going to be baptized this week out of this benevolent ministry uh, that we're doing and to help people. So we're going to fund that. It'll also help us fund in our nation what we do in DuPage and this church plant in a city of 8 million people, uh, 3% church. We're also partnering with other uh, churches who are partner or who are planting churches in the 32 most unreached people uh, population cities in all of North America. And so we're partnering with them and this will fund part of that partnering that we will give to plant churches all over North America. And then our Act Now Fund, I'll explain that a little later, but it'll fund and replenish the Act Now Fund so that we're able to act at any given moment uh, with a need. But in our world, we're doing world missions all over the world. But this uh, year, we are going to launch TC Cairo. We've been praying about this for 10 years. We have been on the ground there ministering, building relationships with people, doing ministry in Egypt, and we believe that now is the time for us to do that. We're, I'm going there in a couple weeks to launch the very first service, and here's what we were praying. God, if you would allow us to register 50 people in Egypt, a Muslim state, 
to attend and register for the very first meeting of TC Cairo, we would view that as a litmus test, and we kind of put it out there, quite honestly, as a fleece to say, God, are you in this? With 50 people would come in an Islamic state to a church gathering uh, with a half Egyptian, half American pastor to be involved in this deal. And, and to date, last I heard, 750 people have already registered to be a part of the very first meeting in, in Cairo in a couple of weeks. And so I want you praying because I want you to know we're gonna, it is going to shake things up there. And we are not, it's not like going to do this in Coweta. And uh, we're doing it in a very, very hotbed uh, of activity where many people need to know Jesus Christ. And so I want you praying about that. And so would you pray with me about what your part would be over and above your normal tithes and offerings to the Christmas offering on December the 14th this year? Would you pray uh, with me? Let me just see your hands. You're going to pray with me? Okay. Thank you. Uh, as we move into the series, and, and we've we got this week and next week left in the Superpower series, and, and i got to confess to you, I don't really know that much about all these superheroes. All I know is I like the movies. And in fact, I like all of the superhero movies. When Ben and I went to see the first Avengers, we walk out of there and we were talking about Hawkeye. And the guy, you know, walking up beside us said, he's not Hawkeye, it's Hawkeye. And uh, I think Hawkeye is a better name. Because he doesn't just have good eyes, he's like hawkish, you know, in, in the way that he can jump and move and ninja-like. And, and So I don't really know that much about it. I'm not one of those who studies them. I never read a single comic book. But, but there are three things that I know that are true about all superheroes. The first one is this. They all have a superpower. Even if they look like us, they have a superpower. They're not all uh, mutants, and, and they're not all bitten by a radioactive bug, but they all have something that separates them and sets them apart. The second thing that's true about all superheroes is they are always looking for ways to serve others. They're always looking for the way to be the hero. It's never about them. It's always about others, even to the point where they risk their lives for the sake of other people. And then the third thing that's true is they always work best as a team. Whether it's the Avengers or the X-Men or the Justice League, they always work better together. And those three facts about superheroes are so true about Christianity and the children of God working and serving in their gifts. And when we figure out that one lane that we should be in and we should be operating in as a child of God and we lean into uh, that and maximize the gifting of God in our lives, we realize that we are superpowered, that we are powered by the Holy Spirit of God stamped with his image, and then we're always on the lookout for others, serving for the benefit of others, and then we want to work as a team. We call it the local church, right? And so we want to serve together. So uh, in this series, Superpowers, that's what this is all about. It starts with you and the image of God on you, and you find out what your gift is and what it is that makes you uh, super, and then you find a lane to live that out in and, and use your gift and develop your gift and, and be powered by the Holy Spirit of God in your gifting. Amazing things happen when this plays out. Now, in week one, I read a verse to you out of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and I want to read it to you again today as we move into our study. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, 5, and 6. And in verse 4, here's what Paul tells us. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. Verse 5 tells us there are different kinds of service, 
but the same Lord. And verse 6 says there are different kinds of working, but the same God who works in all of them. Now, when you look at that, for years I read that passage of Scripture and I interpreted him to be redundant there. But he is not being redundant. He's explaining three different things uh, to us. The first thing is that we all have different gifts. That is how we are made, by the Holy Spirit of God. By the way, with each of these uh, items in these three, in this list of three, is a different part of the Trinity working out. Okay, you got the Spirit, the Son, and the Father. And, and the gifts are stamped on us by the Spirit of God in the image of God. And then he says we have different kinds of service. That's where we serve. That's our place of service identified by Jesus Christ, uh, the Son of God. And then the third verse says we have different kinds of working. That's how we're powered by God the Father to do the work that God calls us to do. That's where we get the energma or the energy to do what it is that God has gifted us and called us to do. So when we're all doing all of those things and all those things are humming, we, we get all of you on all of our churches doing all of those things. Amazing. Amazing things transpire. And that's when the church really begins to look like a super team and move like a super team. And that's our ultimate goal, right? And that's our ultimate mission to change the world. And through all of us working together, that's how we make that happen. Now, the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the gifts two gifts per week. And we've been following a little outline that there's a personality of the gift. And uh, that's how we're hardwired by God. And we've been looking at these 10 characteristics and scoring ourselves and grading ourselves on that. And then we said there's a problem with each gift when we operate in the flesh, right? And then we said there's the power. And with the power, uh, I'm giving you seven words in the spirit and seven words in the flesh to identify each of the gifts. So let's take a look at that list again in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. In his grace, and make no mistake about it, this is all about the grace of God. Okay, and it's in his grace that he's given us these gifts and abilities to do certain things well. He says, so if God has gifted you with the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you're a teacher, teach well. If your gift is to encourage others, be encouraging. If it's giving, give generously. If God has given you leadership ability, take that responsibility seriously. And if you have the gift for showing kindness to others, do it gladly. In week two, we looked at the prophet and the servant. The prophet sees everything as black or white, either in God's will or out of God's will. And then we looked at the servant. The servant is continually asking the question, how can I help? How can I help someone? How can I help anyone? Anyone. I just want to help somebody. The teacher, uh, in, in week three, we looked at the teacher and the encourager. The teacher is the researcher always wants to know the truth and the whole truth, all about the truth. The encourager is a lot like the Christian cheerleader, right? Always rooting us on and cheering us on to our potential and our ability. And today, we're going to look at two more. In fact, after today, there's only one gift left, the gift of mercy, and then we'll wrap it all up. So next week, we're not going to give a whole message to mercy. We're going to wrap this whole thing up, tie a bow on it, and tell you what you do now that you know what your gift is, okay? And so let's look at one of my favorite gifts first today, the gift of the giver, the giver. And uh, when we look at the giver, I, I think I've told you every single week with all of the gifts, we are not exempt or excused from demonstrating a gift that we don't have when it comes to this Romans 12 list. Listen, Jesus is all seven, of them. And he lives inside of us. And so he is growing us and maturing us in every one of the gifts. We don't have to have the gift 
of giving to give any more than we have to have the gift of evangelist to share our faith. We are commanded as children of God to do both. And we are certainly commanded in Scripture over and over and over again to give. Uh, Another thing, uh, in fact, the Bible tells us that God loves those who give cheerfully. In 2 Corinthians, and then he says, And God, when you give cheerfully, will generously provide all that you need. Now listen to the promise. Then you will have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Isn't that what we're looking for in life? And then that's how that plays out. And so another thing you need to know about giving is this, that the gift is not limited to people who have large amounts of money. In fact, oftentimes, it's not those with a lot of possessions who, who are very, very gifted uh, givers by God. A great story is George Mueller. I don't know if you've read uh, that uh, biography on George Mueller. In the 1700s, he lived in England, and he took care of orphans, thousands of orphans. In fact, at one time, under, the greatest number of orphans at one time that were under his care was 2,050. So just think through that, 2,050. 50 orphans at one time that he was caring for. And in his journals, he writes out and he says, God, these are not mine. By the way, he was given to a whole lot of prayer. 2,050 kids you're responsible? You you are prayer. You pray all the time. And in his journals, he's writing out these prayers. and, And he says, God, they're not mine. They're yours. And so I'm trusting you to take care of your children. God, I'm trusting you to meet all of their needs. And as you look through his budget and his books and the accounts that he was over, millions and millions and millions of dollars in the 1700s passed through his hands. And he never one time asked for a donation. And he was never wealthy. When he died, to the penny, he had enough money to bury his body. Now, what made this giver so great? It was that he was a conduit, that that the things of God ran through his life into the lives of other people. He was a giver, and he gave it away uh, to those as God led him. So let's look at this personality test, and I want you to rate yourself, okay? So take out this little superpower card, and let's look at the giver. And on each of these 10 statements I'm going to give you, you will rate yourself one being never, five always, and then two, three, and four somewhere in between, okay? So statement number one. The giver is generous with money, possessions, time, energy, and love. And I would say to you at first glance, it is very, very difficult to tell the difference between a servant and a giver, okay? But but the givers don't view themselves as ever losing anything. The reason is, is because they don't take ownership. They view everything as coming from God and belonging to uh, him. And, and so th- they don't view themselves as losers. But that doesn't mean, by the way, that they're foolish with their money. In fact, I would say to you, it's the exact opposite. The givers, gifted by God as givers, are very, very wise financially. They're wise with their investments. They know how to do what they do, and they know what to do with what God gave them. A few years ago, one of our our members, an investment banker, came in to see uh, Keith Walker, and, and he came in carrying a check, and he said, I just switched from one company to another company, and they gave me this very large signing bonus, and he took the check, and he signed it completely over, endorsed the whole thing over to the church. And he told us that people in his industry that, that kind of were around him that knew what he was going to do with that told him that is not a good move. It's not a wise investment. You should take that, put it in an investment. You should put it in a CD. You should put it in an IRA. You should put it in something that would gain interest. And then you will be able to, over the time, uh, be able to give more. Hear me. 
Givers give even when it doesn't seem right because the giver never ever sees ownership as something that is theirs. They are stewards of what God puts in their hand. Every week I've given you a biblical example for each of the gifts. Matthew, uh, formerly known as Levi, is clearly a giver in Scripture. He was a tax collector and a lot of money passed through his hands, so he knew the value uh, of money. And I want you to listen in Matthew chapter 6 as Matthew is exhorting believers who knows the value of money. Listen to what he says. Verse 19, don't store up for yourselves treasure on earth. Listen to me, Matthew would never encourage us to not store up treasure on earth if it were not possible for us to store up treasure on earth. And he knew that many of the children of God are storing treasure on earth. And he goes on to say about this storing treasure on earth that, that moths eat it and rust destroys it and thieves break in and steal it. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, and rather store treasure in heaven. Again, he would never exhort us to store our treasure up in heaven if it were not possible for us to store our treasure in heaven. And he's saying store it there where moss and rust cannot destroy it. Thieves don't break in and steal. And then he says this, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will be also. Now here's what Matthew, this tax collector, understood. That he had been involved in all kinds of treasure And he realized when you take your treasure and you sink it in the things of God and in the hands of Jesus, the desires of your heart chase after it. He understood that. He watched that play out in his life. And he's saying, so put your treasure there and your heart will follow. So rate yourself on number one, okay? Number two, derives pleasure from giving without recognition. The giver is not loud. They're not drawing attention to themselves. They are not in it for that. That's not what they're doing. The story I just told you about this investment maker, I know his name, would never tell you his name. Why? Because he asked us not to tell you his name. He doesn't want his name known. Uh, By the way, of the gospel writers, Matthew is the only gospel writer who talks about giving in secret. It's the giver who says that and says in in Matthew chapter 6, verse uh, 3, When you give to someone in need, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give your gifts in private, and your Father who sees everything will reward you. Rate yourself on that one. Number three, believes God is the source for motivation of giving. In other words, everything belongs to God, everything comes from God, and everything is distributed by God. The giver lives that principle out to the utmost degree, okay? They, they cannot be talked into giving. They are not victim to high-pressure sales pitches. That's, givers don't fall to that, which, by the way, I just want to tell you, I, I just need a little less pitch in, in the life that, that I'm living today in our society. I just wonder, is there a cash register in America that still exists that you can take a product up to, you can pay for your product, and leave? That's just what I want to do. I'm so tired of hearing, do you have a rewards card? No, I don't want one. You don't have a rewards card. Can I just pay and go? No, no, because I'm going to pull out from under the desk a clipboard, and I'm going to collect from you information that will boggle your mind. I want to know your primary address, your secondary address, your social security number, your wife's maiden name. I would like to know a primary email. I'd like to know a secondary email in case the first email bounces. We can send it to the secondary email where you could save 5% on something possibly in the future. And they just go on and on while the line is backed up. Now, I'm not an economist, but here's what I understand about money. The economy does better when money moves. 
and when it changes hands. And yet every cash register in the world has been tripped up by these conversations. And so no money is changing hands, which means no products are being sold, which means no trucks are shipping, which means we're not hiring people and jobs aren't going well because we've turned the whole thing into molasses by, by asking all of these questions. I just want to join the pay the full price club, pay for this and leave and get back to my family, right? I don't like the high pressure. I don't like all the conversations about all that goes with it, but the giver would never fall to high pressure. Okay, that's not them. They're not prone to that. They understand giving, uh, you know, 301. It's not 101 that you put pictures of starving kids in Africa up or show some sex trade, you know, uh, video, and, and then all of a sudden they give. They understand 301 giving. They have grown and matured in their giving, and they are always listening to the voice of God to tell them when to give. And they trust God implicitly because they understand he is the source of everything, and they want to give back to the source Uh, Listen uh, to Matthew when he says, and the king will say, I tell you the truth. When you did it to one of the least of these, you did it unto me. Matthew understands the source. So rate yourself, okay? Number, what are we on? Four, is thrilled to discover that a gift is an answer to prayer and can be used as a blessing to others. Listen. The giver will keep close to God. They will stay very close to God. They keep their ear tuned to the Holy Spirit all the time. They are listening to the Holy Spirit, and they're staying very, very, very close to God. And they're always looking for an opportunity to give because they see their giving as an answer to someone else's prayer. When you take a giver and you help them understand that their giving is answering somebody else's prayer, it's like you lit them on fire. Let me show you this story in Acts chapter 11, uh, verse 27, where this kind of plays out. Actually, verse 29. During this time, some of the prophets traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them, named Agabus, stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the entire Roman world. This was fulfilled during the reign of Claudius. Verse 29. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could give. Now here's the deal. This is a great story. Why? Because it epitomizes the true gifted giver. If you're not gifted with with the gift of giving, but you're determined to grow in in the gift of giving, I would encourage you to take just those three verses right there and study those verses and and study them really, really closely. And and as you look at it, you'll see several things. One of the things that you will see is that they gave before the tragedy occurred. And what you and I do most of the time is we give in response uh, to a tragedy. Well, a hurricane comes, a tsunami comes, a tornado hits, Ebola breaks out, right? And then we open up our checkbooks. We hear about Syria. We hear about Darfur. We hear about starving children. We hear about orphans. And then we're ready to give. But in other words, we give after a tragedy. In this text of Scripture, they gave before a, a tragedy, The famine hadn't even hit yet. It was being predicted by a prophet of God, but they didn't wait around. They gave ahead of time. And when you give to the Christmas offering this year, one of the accounts that we fund is the Act Now uh, account. And the reason we created years ago this Act Now account is so that when a national or a global tragedy happens, we don't have to wait till we meet on Sunday to take an offering to meet needs there. We can give immediately without even calling the church and talking to the church about it. We can meet needs and handle needs and minister to needs before we get together on Sunday. So another thing I want you to see in this passage is in verse 29. In the ESV, here's what it says. So the disciples determined everyone 
according to his ability to send relief to the brothers living in Judea. In other words, they gave according to what they had. They did not give according to what was needed. Are are you listening? With the gift of giving, they understand it. Think about it. The famine hadn't even happened yet. So there was no one to tell them how much was needed. There was no goal that had been set. There was no thermometer present that said, you know, we're halfway towards our goal or 75% uh, towards our goal. Instead, they used an internal barometer and determining how much to give. And that internal barometer was each gave according to his ability. Each according to what he had available. Another way to translate that Greek phrase is this, as each one had plenty. That's the giver. That's the way the giver understands it, that they will give their plenty because they know what to do with their plenty. It is going to help others. Their plenty will be an answer to prayer. And so they're going to give in that way. So rate yourself on that one. Number five. Number five, gives the best because it is seen as an investment of self. Givers give the best, okay, and and, and they want to do that. There's two types of grandparents. How many of you have uh, children? Raise your hand. How many of you are grandparents? Let me see your hands. Okay, so several. There's two types of grandparents, okay, right? Well, I'm overgeneralizing this, but there's the one set of grandparents that comes in, and and the grandkids come over, and uh, they give each kid a shiny quarter, right? And, And then there's the other set of grandparents that comes in, and takes the children shopping, and without your permission, brings them back all with their own iPad. And we hate that, right? Because now we have to deal with spoiled, rotten children, and, and that you know they march off to their house again, and, and we have to deal with that. But the truth is that those grandparents probably are givers, and they are giving the best. And, and a word to describe that is lavish. They want to lavish on others with the gifts because it's they're giving themselves. Rate yourself there, okay? Number six practices personal thriftiness as a result of contentment with the necessities of life. What do I mean by that? Here's what I mean by that. A giver will go buy you a gift card at Mahogany's and then pick up a burrito at Quick Trip on the way home for themselves. They love to give to others, but they are frugal when it comes uh, to themselves. And, and so they may wear the same clothes over and over again, you know, and, and, and until they wear them out. They may have somewhere stashed in their purse or whatever a wad of coupons that's big enough to choke a horse. And, and, and they're not pack rats, by the way. Givers never end up on that show hoarders because they don't, nothing hangs around like that. It, it, they just pass it on through. They have thrifty lives, and they have enough left over all the time to bless, to give, to answer people's prayers, and to be a part of the answer to people's uh, prayers. It was Luke that tells us in chapter 5, verse 28, that Levi, who's Matthew, got up, left everything, and followed after uh, Jesus Christ. So rate yourself on number six. Number seven, demonstrates wisdom in investments and has success in handling business and financial matters. Givers seem to have a natural ability given from God to start businesses, to do well with businesses. They have what we call in business the Midas touch, and it's because God knows. God knows their heart. He knows that they're going to be a steward. They're going to be a conduit. They're not going to hoard it up and dam it all up. This is the kid who started the lemonade stand. This is the kid who was always doing something that was learning how to make money and to understand the business processes of this world. So rate yourself uh, there. Number Uh, Eight, spots a financial need that others miss. The givers always have feelers out. They always, they know what the biggest need is. In the Gospel of Matthew, it's Matthew who tells us that Jesus confronted the Pharisees over and over and over again on these kinds of matters. Matthew pointed that out over and over and over again. Number nine, 
desires to use giving to motivate others to give and to operate in their area of giftedness. The, the, the givers have strong understanding and belief in the tithe and in offerings over and above that, and, and they, you can't argue with them about it because not only have they studied Scripture, they, they have experienced it. And they've watched it play out in their lives. And they're always looking for ways to give more and more, to increase the percentage, uh, uh, to grow in, in their giving. Number 10, discerns with accuracy the spiritual, spiritual condition of a person or situation based on their handling of finances. Givers uh, know people's hearts based on how they handle finances. It was Matthew, by the way, that pointed out that Judas betrayed Jesus, but it's Matthew that pointed out that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And he, he was going after people's hearts based on what they do. And so givers are amazing people, right? So what's the problem that a giver has to guard against? When a giver gets in the flesh, uh, he or she will want to exercise control over the gift. They will attach strings to every little gift that they give to make sure it goes in the exact right place. So in the flesh, what happens is the giver becomes a control freak and, and they can lose balance. They can end up in one ditch or the other ditch. Over, over here, uh, they, they spoil their children, spoil their family. They're lavish on it. The other ditch is they neglect them and they don't take care of them because they're meeting everybody else's needs. So how does the giver use this power in the spirit instead of in the flesh? Now, if you haven't been here with us, I'm giving you seven words for each gift in the spirit and then seven words in the flesh uh, so that you can kind of discern, okay? And so I'm going to talk really, really fast here as if I'm not talking fast already. I'm going to speed it up because it's just too much content. Number one, in the spirit, the giver is thrifty, thriftiness uh, with themselves, okay? And in the flesh, they're extravagant with themselves. In the spirit, resourcefulness and the flesh wastefulness and the spirit punctuality and the flesh is tardiness in the spirit there's tolerance in other words they, they put others first and they want to take care of others and help others in the flesh it's prejudice and uh, where they view other people like I, I can't believe they wouldn't handle their money better than that I, and they judge people based on those kinds of matters number five is caution that their bank account is balanced to the penny. Their checkbook is balanced. Their, their credit cards, are, everything is balanced, and, they're, and, they're, and they understand it all at any given moment. Uh, five is rashness. They'll impulse buy without checking with their spouse or whatever. Number six in the spirit is gratitude, and in the flesh is ungratefulness. And just as all of the gifts uh, so far, the seventh one in the spirit is joy. Giver in the spirit is full of joy and, and in the flesh is full of frustration. So let's look at the next gift, which is the leader. Okay, and we're going to move quickly uh, through this. Number one, visualizes the end result and the broad perspective of any major undertaking. Okay, this is the leader. The leader thrives on long-range goals. And they, they love projection sheets. And they love predictive models. And they will pretty much neglect every short-term goal in order to accomplish the big goal at hand. They love time management seminars. They love taking goals and breaking them into intermediate goals and focusing on the big picture. Two words for you on the leader. Franklin Covey. They love it. They, they, they love that whole process. They love seven habits of highly, anything that's about making it more efficient, they love it. Biblical character, Nehemiah. 
Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 5. You see, he had a plan. He had a goal. He had a mission. What was it? To rebuild the walls around the city of Jerusalem. And when the king asked him, what do you need? He was ready for that question. He pulled out a PowerPoint presentation. He's handing out graphs and, and, and slide charts. And he's handing all of this to he knew. Okay, so rate yourself on number one. Number two, the leader accepts responsibility for a project and quickly moves to organize that project. The leader, you want to know if you're a leader, take a look at your desk, okay? Uh, leaders love to organize. They love to organize things. And they, a leader may have stacks, but they know what every stack is about and they know what every stack uh, is when I need to get to that. Capable leaders love to organize, okay? And so they, even if they're stacks, they know what it's for. The king asked Nehemiah, what is needed Listen to his response in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 7. I said to the king, If it please the king, let me have letters addressed to the governors of the province west of the Euphrates River, instructing them to let me travel safely through their territories on the way to Judah. So I need your help, king. First thing I need is I need letters. Verse 8. And please give me a letter to the manager of the king's forest, instructing him to give me timber. I'll need it to make beams for the gates of the temple fortress for the city walls and a house for myself. In other words, Nehemiah, he had a plan, he had a goal, and he had a list ready to give to the king. He said, I need some timber and I need some letters. And here's how much I need. Thank you, king. Right? He was ready. So rate yourself there. Number three, possesses a remarkable ability to subdivide long-range goals into smaller tasks. You ask the question, how do you eat an elephant? And every leader in the audience knows, one bite at a time, right? It doesn't intimidate a leader that, that we're going to take this one bite at a time. And you read Nehemiah and you see how they rebuilt that wall, one brick at a time, one family at a time, one gate at a time. Okay, so number four, prefers to operate by the principle of authority in the acceptance and delegation of responsibility. They want to know the flow chart. They want to know the parameters. They want to know who answers to who. Where are the solid lines? Where are the dotted lines? They understand delegation. They want to know what they have the authority to do. Uh, can I have keys? Or can I have a key to this? Or can I not have a key to that? Can I fire them if they don't do their... Can I hire? What can, they want to know the boundaries. And they understand delegation. And they love to follow the chain of command in, in any given task. You read Nehemiah chapter 3 and they're rebuilding this wall. And there is this very, very detailed list of how they rebuilt the wall. This family did this, and this family did that, and this group did this, and this group did that. And it is very organized according to a very strict delegation of duties. Okay, so rate yourself on number four. Number five, utilize the appropriate resources and people to accomplish the goals. They're not concerned with how other people view them. Okay, they're very secure in their own abilities, and they rarely buckle under criticism. Rarely. What they care about first and foremost is getting the job done. They want the job to get done. Okay, that's the leader. And this is how this plays out uh, for the leader. Number six, accepts criticism from others as a necessary part of teaching the ultimate goal. They have a very, very tough hide. 
it is hard to offend a leader even if you want to, right? Somebody will say something critical about and to a leader, and two weeks later they'll analyze that, and they feel bad about it, and they, and they want to repent of it. They come to the leader and they say, hey, I need to apologize. I need to ask for your forgiveness, and, da, da, da. and the leader's like, I don't know what you're talking about, right? It, it, it didn't even phase the leader. It wasn't on the leader's radar. That's the leader. Number seven, enjoys motivating and working with people. Listen to Nehemiah chapter 3, verse 17. I said to the officials, you know very well what trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire. Let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and end this disgrace. Then I told them about how the gracious hand of God had been upon me and my conversation with the king. They use story. Leaders know how to use story. Leaders know how to uh, share the plan to motivate people. And they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began this good work. Okay, so rate yourself there. Number eight, displays loyalty and expects loyalty in interaction with others. I want to say to you, you cannot overestimate the importance of loyalty to the person with this gift. Number nine, accomplishes each task with great enthusiasm until the major goal is accomplished and then prefers to move quickly to a new challenge. This drives every other gift crazy. Every other gift. And I'm telling you, just through confession, okay? This is just the confession of a recovering Catholic. This is, I feel like I just got to confess it all the time. We have a major hill. We have a major task. We have this endeavor that we're going after, and we're assembling teams, and we're getting people ready, and we're praying, and we're all doing our job, and everybody's doing their part, and we take the hill, and we slay the giant, and you come in the next morning for a staff meeting, and everybody with every other gift expects us to have killed the fattened calf and to have this enormous enormous party and the leader then pulls up a presentation and tells you what the next hill is and tells you what the next they're moving on and they're grateful for all that but we're going on to the next hill they're always looking forward that's why Paul says in verse 8 if God gives you the gift of leadership ability take that responsibility seriously because the leader, by in and of themselves, they're not interested in maintaining status quo. They are always moving forward. They are diligent in their tasks. They are very intense, and they work very, very, very hard. Okay, so rate yourself there. Number 10, last one, derives great fulfillment from seeing a goal accomplished. The leader has several things going on at one time. Always. There's several irons in the fire, and they go back and check this, and then check this, and then check this. And, and the irons in the fire at one time. The worst thing you could do to somebody with this gift is to put them in some sort of assembly line or to give them some sort of busy work, okay? Because for the leader, the work has to matter. It has to matter greatly to them or they are not interested. So what's the problem and the, with a leader? Here's the problem. The leader can become very calloused. When the job takes too long, it hits a snag, all of a sudden it's detoured, they can become calloused. And what happens when they become calloused is projects become more important than people. And they will end up viewing people as pawns to accomplish what it is they're trying to accomplish. So let's look at the power, seven words in the spirit and seven words in the flesh, okay? Number one, order. Everything is in order for the person with this gift when they operate in the spirit, okay? Meredith knows the greatest gift she can give me when I'm returning from a trip or out of town is that everything is in order. 
and everything is in place, okay? It, it, I cannot rest, I cannot relax if I walk back into a home that's not in order. And, and so, uh, you know, the step that some ladies go through where they take the clothes out of the dryer and put it on the bed, in the bedroom, and when they fold them, they fold them. We got to skip that step, okay? Because we got to fold them and put them away. We just don't put a pile on the bed. The order is a big, big, big deal, okay, to the person with this gift. In the flesh, disorganization. In the spirit, number two, is initiative. And in the flesh is laziness. Anytime you see somebody with this gift becoming lazy, it's a telltale sign. They are not operating under the power of the Holy Spirit. Number three, responsibility. And the flesh is irresponsibility. Number four is humility. And let me just say this to any of you who have this gift. This is where you rise or fall as a leader. The word is very, very clear. God gives grace to the humble, but he rejects the proud. As a leader, you have to stay humble under the hand of God in your life. Okay, And in the flesh, it's egotism. And they become a dictator. And the spirit for number five is determination. In the flesh, it's indecisiveness. When the leader can't make a decision to save his life, you got problems, okay? They're not listening to God. Number six in the, in the spirit is loyalty. Big, big, big deal. In the flesh, unfaithfulness. And just again, like all of them, number seven is joy and frustration. Now, how do these gifts work together? In fact, how do all of the gifts work together? You could take any passage of Scripture, read it, and, and do what I'm about to do. But let's just take the one we read a moment ago, okay, in Acts chapter 11. Flip back over to Acts chapter 11, and let's just read that passage again. And I just want to show you where you can write down in, in the Bible uh, how we see the gifts playing out, okay? Verse 27, or yeah, 27. During this time, some of the prophets, okay, so we got the prophet. Traveled from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up in one of the meetings and predicted by the Spirit that a great famine was coming upon the Roman world. Verse 29. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief. That's the servant. To the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving. There's the givers. And as much as they could. They did uh, this, entrusting their gifts to Barnabas, which is the son of encouragement, and to Saul, who we said is a teacher, to take to the elders who are the leaders of the church. And you see in this one little passage of Scripture that all of these gifts just working in harmony with one another and, and in, uh, interacting with one another. And if one of these gifts is not present in that scenario, could be the needs aren't met. Could be that the things that God wanted to accomplish did, didn't happen, but they're all working together and they're all in unity. And, and so people are helped and God's work is being done and the good news is going out. And all of that is playing out because the gifts are all being exercised and used. It's the same way in the, in the life of our church, in the life of TC. We need all of you at all of our churches working together, being diligent to do your part and to do your role in only the way that you can. The scripture is very clear about every child of God, that there were works prepared in advance for you. And nobody else can do the works prepared in advance for you. And when that happens, something great happens and goes along with it. And we're all on this uh, together. And it begins to look like a superhero team. But in order to get there, we have to all get to this starting line. And we have to get to the place where we understand ourselves and the image of God stamped upon us. And we have to understand our gifting. And if you don't know Jesus, listen, it's really, really hard for you to understand the image of God 
stamped upon you. And think about Matthew. We talked about him. He's the giver, but he was a tax collector. It's worse than a sinner in the first century. His own people hated him because he was a traitor against his own people, but he was used by the Romans. He was on the outside. But one day Jesus comes along to that booth and he says, I can use you. But Matthew's response, I'm a tax collector. Everyone hates me. Jesus said, no, 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 no. I see something in you. And what he saw in him was the image of God stamped upon Matthew. The Bible says that Levi got up and left everything to follow after Jesus. And when he followed after Jesus, that Jesus took all of those things that Matthew thought about himself that were useless or or were harmful or or were against God or, or, or were of no use whatsoever, and he twisted them and he turned them and he turned them into influence and he turned them into usefulness and he turned it into the power of God flowing in and through his life. If you're here today, You've never given your life to Jesus. That's what Jesus does. He takes what we are and he transforms us. That's why he came to this earth and that's why he jumped up on a cross and he died for us. That's why his body was buried in a grave and three days later he rose again. It's why he sent the Holy Spirit of God into this world. He did all of those things to transform us here on this planet. And if you're here today and you've never given your life to Christ, I just want to encourage you today to do that, to trust Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior. So on all of our churches today, I'm going to ask, would you just bow your heads and would you just close your eyes? If you're sensitive to the Spirit, you're already praying. You're praying that God would move in the lives of men and women and boys and girls in all of our churches today. And if you want to cross that faith line and give your life to Jesus Christ, right where you're seated, would you just pray with me and would you just say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner and today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, would you come into my life to be my Lord? You call the shots in my life. Come in as my Savior, my forgiver. And the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus, to save me. And I want to thank you, Jesus, for saving me. I receive you, and I receive salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Together we all say amen. Would you thank the Lord today uh, for life change, and uh, we rejoice.